so inshallah ta'ala, we're going to start now in these lessons in the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi. And this book it covers, as the title suggests, a selection of a hadith from the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And it covers various different topics and various different aspects. And all of these hadith, they revolve around principles of the religion or they mention within them various benefits and admonitions to be taken from them. And studying these ahadith and going through them one by one, then a person he begins to learn about the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Learning about the different types of characteristics that a believer should have, learning about the different types of characteristics a believer should not have, the dispraiseworthy characteristics, learning about the various types of things that are halal, things which are haram. And they will be mentioned throughout the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And so by taking this selection of roughly 40 hadith or so, and going through them one by one, then in each hadith we will learn different aspects from it. We'll learn different rulings from them, from the statement of the Prophet ﷺ. And as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, regarding the Prophet ﷺ, وَمَا يَنْتِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَىٰ That the Prophet ﷺ doesn't speak from desires. All of that is revelation, inspiration from Allah upon him. And similarly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Qur'an, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُوا That which the Prophet ﷺ he gives you, then take it. Practice it and implement it, those commandments. And that which he prohibits you from, then stay away from it. So as we go through these hadith, then we will learn different aspects of the religion, different things from various different topics. And so we practice those things, and we gain the knowledge of those things. And this is how knowledge is learnt. Bit by bit, starting with the small affairs and then building up. So in this way now, we'll take one hadith at a time, and we'll roughly do one hadith every week. With a standard level of explanation, we will not go into too much detail so that it is easy to understand and easy to grasp for everybody, particularly those who may be new to learning, so that we learn the hadith and we learn the benefits from the hadith and we learn how we should behave and how we should act in accordance to that particular hadith. So this book then, it is written by Al-Imam Al-Nawawi, as many people will be aware uh, and his name was Al-Imam Yahya Ibn Sharaf Ibn Hassan Ibn Hussein Al-Nawawi. And so he put together these ahadith and it's become famously known as the 40 hadith of Al-Imam Al-Nawawi. And this particular explanation that we will use for the majority of the lessons and there will be benefits from other explanations and speech of the scholars also but the main explanation we'll use and use as a basis will be the explanation of a Shaykh Al-Fawzan, Hafidhahullah Ta'ala, and then like we said, we'll bring in other benefits from other places also. So we'll begin with the first hadith then. We'll begin with the first hadith, 
We'll read the hadith and we'll go through the meanings of this hadith and what we benefit from it. So the first hadith, عَنْ أَمِيرِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ أَبِي حَفْصٍ عُمَرِ بْنِ الْخَطَّابِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالَ The Amir al-Mu'mineen, Abu Hafs, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu, he said, سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَقُولَ I heard the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ امْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ لِدُنْيَا يُصِيبُهَا أَوْ إِمْرَأَةٍ يَنْكِحُهَا فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى مَا هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِ He said that I heard the Prophet ﷺ say that indeed all actions are in accordance to their intentions. All actions are but by intentions. And for every individual is that which he intends. For every individual is that which he intends. So whomsoever intends to make the hijrah to Allah and His Messenger, then his, his, his hijrah is for Allah and His Messenger. And whomsoever makes a hijrah for some worldly gain, or for perhaps a woman that he wishes to marry, then that hijrah of that person will be for that objective that he went out for. This is the first hadith in the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi. And we should say also that for those who are able to memorize these hadith, then every week you should try to memorize the hadith. Every week we will not do more than one hadith a week. Or if it is more than one hadith a week, it will be because they are extremely short. So in any case, you will be able to keep up with the memorization. So everybody should try and do that. The brothers and the sisters to try to memorize the hadith that we are doing every week. Try to keep on top of that, and that way by the time we finish, you will have memorized the book, the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi. So now this hadith then, Shaykh al-Fawzani says, that the author, he began these ahadith in this book, with this hadith, the hadith of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. And it is a hadith which is muttafaqun alayhi. It is a hadith which is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. Al-Muttafaqun alayhi, when you see sometimes that a particular hadith is Muttafaqun alayhi, meaning Al-Imam Al-Bukhari and Imam Muslim, then that is the most authentic type of hadith you can have. Huwa asahu al-ahadith fi sunnati Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The most authentic hadith you can have is a hadith which has been narrated by Bukhari and Muslim, agreed upon by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. وَصَدَّرَ الْمُؤَلِّفُ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ مُؤَلَّفَهُ بِهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ لِلْتَذْكِيرِ بِالنِّيَّةِ And Imam al-Nawawi began this book with this hadith about the intention, the intention that a person has when he does his actions, to remind us all regarding the importance of this intention, the importance of having the correct intention, the right intention, when doing your actions and your obediences and your worships and whatever a person engages in, to make sure that the intention is pure and correct. So the author, Al-Imam al-Nawawi, began the whole of this book 
with this hadith to remind us from the very beginning that the intention is of extreme importance. Even now that we sit here and we gather for the sake of learning this knowledge, for the sake of understanding and practicing this religion, then we do all of that for the sake of Allah. We are gathered here now for the sake of Allah to learn this hadith, to learn this knowledge of the religion, not for other people to see us. So people praise us and they say, MashaAllah, he attends the lesson. The intention is to be made pure all of the time for the sake of Allah. That's why the Salaf, they used to say, like uh, Imam Al-Thawri, Sufyan Al-Thawri, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he said, that the most difficult thing he had to deal with was his intention. مَا عَالَجْتُ شَيْئًا أَشَدَّ عَلَيَّ مِن نِيَّتِي He said, I never had to deal with anything more difficult than my intention. You always have to keep reviewing yourself to make sure that you're doing things sincerely for the sake of Allah, not for the sake of the people seeing you or watching you or praising you. So here the Imam, Al-Imam al-Nawawi, he began with this hadith to remind us from the very beginning of the importance of this intention. وَأَنَّ الْمُؤَلِّفَ وَغَيْرَهُ مِنْ كُلِّ مَنْ يَقُومُ بِعَمَلٍ صَالِحٍ يَجِبُ أَنْ يَكُونَ صَادِرًا عَنْ نِيَّةٍ خَالِصًا لِلَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ And to remind us that all of our actions, they must be done sincerely for the sake of Allah. كَمَا أَنَّ الْإِمَامَ الْبُخَارِيَّ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ صَدَّرَ صَحِيحًا بِهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ تَذْكِيرًا بِالنِّيَّةِ Just like Imam al-Bukhari, he began his book, the Sahih al-Bukhari, with the hadith about intention also, to remind the people from the beginning of the importance of this intention. The shaykh says that being, the reason being, because if an individual, an individual does some particular action with the wrong intention, he does an action without the correct intention sincerely for the sake of Allah, then his action may well end up being a useless action. Then his actions end up being wasted. If he does them, but he does them for other than the sake of Allah. So the shaykh says, in order that we don't end up tiring ourselves out in doing actions, but then those actions end up being useless and wasteful, we need to be aware of this correct intention so that the actions are not wasted and useless, but they are beneficial to us. وَهَذَا الْحَدِيثُ مِنَ الْحَدِيثِ الْجَوَامِعِ وَالنَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَدْ أُوتِيَ جَوَامِعَ الْكَلِمِ وَفَضْلَ الْخِطَابِ وَفَصْلَ الْخِطَابِ الشيخ الفوزان also says that this hadith is from the جَوَامِعُ الْكَلِمِ جَوَامِعُ الْكَلِمِ meaning that it was one of the great virtues and blessings upon the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that he would speak with a few words. He would speak with very little words, but the meanings of them would be great. And the admonition and the benefits taken from them would be great. And even now when you look, the hadith might only be two or three lines long. But when you look in the books, there's 10 or 20 pages of explanation for the hadith, which is only two or three lines long. This is what's meant by the jawami'ul kalim, that the Prophet ﷺ could speak with a few words, but there would be so many meanings and benefits in that few words. And this hadith is one of those. The hadith is barely two or three lines long, but the meanings within it are great. And the virtues and the benefits and the admonitions to be taken are great. Also, the scholars have mentioned that this hadith about the intention, 
that all of your actions are with your intentions. That whomsoever makes his hijrah for Allah, then it is for Allah. Whomsoever makes it for some other reason, then it's for that other reason. Everything is done in accordance to your intention. Then this hadith is one of the four hadith that the whole of the religion revolves around. The scholars, they say, this hadith is one of the four hadith that the whole of the religion, it revolves around. That all of your actions are but by your intentions. That is one of the hadith from the four where the whole of the religion revolves around. The other three, they are going to come later on. Within the hadith that we are going to discuss later, they will come later on, the other three hadith. In brief, they are the hadith, إِنَّ الْحَلَالَ بَيِّنٌ وَإِنَّ الْحَرَامَ بَيِّنٌ the hadith that the halal is clear and the haram is clear. And between them there are affairs that are uh, confusing or affairs that may cause doubt to the people. Also, is hadfima fi aidin nas nas? That do not desire what is in the hands of the people and the people will love you. This hadith will come later on in more detail also. Min husni islam il mar'i tarkuhu ma la yanihi. That from the goodness of the Islam of a person is not to get involved in things that don't concern him. So these are the four hadith altogether that the religion it revolves around. Um, after that, then the Shaykh says, "Hada ma yadulu hadith wa huwa min kalim." This hadith it is from the comprehensive ahadith that encompasses many meanings. Because in the beginning it says, إِنَّمَا amal," Meaning, that your actions are only going to be considered based upon what? Your actions are only going to be considered بِالنِّيَّات Upon your intentions, upon your objectives, your intentions. That's what your actions are going to be considered upon. And that is something that you have in the heart. A person intends in his heart why he is doing a particular action. So when you do some worship, it's not about how you physically do the worship. That by itself isn't the point. Maybe somebody comes and he prays perfectly. But just because he prayed perfectly, that in of itself isn't the point by itself. Of course, you have to pray properly. But there is something beyond that too, where... It is the heart, the intention behind that person praying. So maybe a person prays perfectly according to the sunnah, but he's doing it in his heart for other than the sake of Allah. So now the action is useless, futile. Whereas somebody does the action perfectly and he does it for the sake of Allah, now the action is considered as correct. So the consideration given to any action isn't just the action itself, how you do it. It's what is in your heart, and your intention when you do that action. The consideration isn't just the physical way you do the action. But the consideration is actually in the intention of the person. So if a person is intent is to do it for the sake of Allah, then his action is for the sake of Allah. But if the person, his intention is for other than the sake of Allah, then his action is for other than the sake of Allah. وَهَذَا مَا يَدُلُّ عَلَى الْحَدِيثِ This is what the hadith indicates. 
meaning بِحَسَبِ مَقَاصِدِ أَصْحَابِهَا وَتَوَجُّهَاتِهِمْ فَيَنْبَغِي لِلْمُسْلِمِ أَنْ يُخْلِسَ نِيَّتَهُ لِلَّهِ فِي كُلِّ عَمَلٍ يَعْمَلُهُ مِنَ الْعَمَالِ صَالِحًا فَالْمُرَادُ بِالْعَمَالِ هُنَا الْعِبَادَاتِ أَمَّا الْعَمَالُ الدُّنْيَوِيَّةَ فَهَذِي لَا تَحْتَاجُ إِلَى نِيَّةٍ مِثْلَ أَنْ يَأْكُلَ أَوْ يَشْرَبَ أَوْ يَلْبَسَ ثِيَابَهُ أَوْ يَرْكَبَ سَيَّارَتَهُ هَذِهِ لَا تَحْتَاجُ إِلَى نِيَّةٍ وَإِنَّمَا الْمَقْصُودُ بِالْعَمَالِ أَعْمَالُ الطَّاعَاتِ فَهِيَ الَّتِي لَا بُدَّ أَنْ تُوَصَّصَ تُؤَسَّسَ عَلَى نِيَّةٍ The Shaykh says the point of all of this being which actions are those that are in need of a proper and pure intention the worships when you worship Allah any act of worship then that must be done upon the pure intention to Allah. If however you are doing some worldly thing, you're going to eat some food, you're going to do some other action, you're going to drive your car, whatever it might be, then that doesn't need an intention of sincerity. You don't have to say, I'm going to drive my car now sincerely for the sake of the religion. It's a worldly affair. That doesn't, this is the hadith, doesn't mean those types of things. Those types of things are general, casual things that you do in the worldly affairs. But specifically with your ibadat, the acts of worship and obedience, then they must be done with a sincere intention. As for eating and drinking, you do that anyway. That is done anyway, eat and drink and drive your car, etc. But here the shaykh says, when you do an act of worship, then that can't just be done like this and that in any way. That can't just be like eating and drinking in any way. That must be done with that pure and sincere intention that you are doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى That every individual will get what he intends. Every individual has what he intends. هَذِهِ الْجُمْلَةِ مُؤَكِّدًا لِلْجُمْلَةِ الَّتِي قَبْلَهَا أَوْ هِيَ مُسْتَقِلًا The scholars then explain, is this sentence something related to that which came before it or not? But the point being, that إِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى that every individual will get what he intends in terms of the end result, the reward in the end. If you do your actions for the sake of Allah, then your reward is upon that. If you do your actions for other than the sake of Allah, then your end result and your end punishment or recompense will be based upon that intention of yours. So maybe two people, they come and pray like we mentioned. One of them does it for the sake of Allah, his reward is with Allah. The other one prays beautifully, but just to show the people so they praise him. So now his end reward will be upon that intention of his. That evil intention of only wanting the people to praise him. So this is what it means, that every individual will get what he intends. The people who do their worship purely for the sake of Allah, you'll get your reward upon that. The ones who do their worship and obedience and goodness just for other people and other reasons, then they'll get their end recompense based upon those intentions that they had. أي أنه لا يثاب عند الله إلا إذا كانت نيته لله. meaning that a person will not be rewarded for his actions except if the intention is for the sake of Allah. if his intention was for other than the sake of Allah, then that is as Allah mentioned من كان يريد الحياة الدنيا وزينتها نوفي إليهم أعمالهم فيما فيها وهم فيها لا يبخسون. أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ لَيْسَ لَهُمْ فِي الْآخِرَةِ إِلَّا النَّارِ وَحَبِطَ مَا صَنَعُوا فِيهَا وَبَاطِلُ مَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, those people who want, those people who desire the worldly gains, and the beautification and the desires of the world, then we will give to them their actions now, and they won't decrease for them. 
they'll get their thing in the world. If they want their desires of the world and the worldly gain, then you see even the kuffar and these people, they get the worldly gain. Some of them are millionaires and they have wealth. You'll get that. But then Allah says, But those people who do their actions just for worldly benefits and gains, then in the hereafter there is nothing for them except the fire. And everything that they did will come to futility, it will be wasted. And everything they used to do will be false. Because all of their actions, whatever they were doing, they were doing it for other than the sake of Allah. And it's mentioned in a hadith. The shaykh quotes the hadith now, which is mentioned about those people who used to do their actions for other than the sake of Allah. They used to do their worship for other than the sake of Allah. In the hadith it says, The first of the people who are going to be held to accountability on the day of judgment are three. A person who was apparently martyred. فَأُوتِيَ بِهِ فَعَرَّفَهُ نِعَمَهُ فَعَرَفَهَا So this person, he will be brought on the day of judgment, and the blessings that Allah bestowed upon him, will be shown to him, and he will recognize them. فَقَالْ وَمَا عَمِلْتَ فِيهَا It will be said to him, What did you do with these blessings you were given? He will say, قَاتَلْتُ فِيكَ حَتَّى قُتِلْتُ I fought in your path. He will say, I fought in your path. I used to do jihad until I was killed. قَالَ كَذَبْتُ It will be said to him, Allah will say to him, You're lying. لَكِنَّكَ قَاتَلْتَ لِيُقَالَ هُوَ جَرِيءٌ فَقَدْ قِيلٌ You only used to go and fight in the battles, etc. So people would say, Look how courageous you are. Look how brave you are. And they used to say that. It was said. ثُمَّ أُمِرَ بِهِ فَيُسْحَبُ عَلَى وَجْهِهِ حَتَّى أُلْقِيَ فِي النَّارِ Then it will be commanded for him to be dragged. He will be dragged on his face and thrown into the fire. So why was this individual thrown into the fire? Despite the fact that he actually did used to go out and fight, and he actually was killed, because he wasn't doing any of that for the sake of Allah. Even if he was going out, fighting in the proper jihad, the legitimate jihad, we're not talking about these things that go on these days, Anwar al-Awlaqi and those people and the khawarij and their mentality, this isn't jihad. We're talking about the proper jihad, this individual he claimed to have done that. But it will be said to him, you're lying. You only used to go and do that, so people would praise you and say, look how brave he is. So that person, he will be thrown into the fire. His actions will be futile, useless. Then it will be another individual. رَجُلٌ تَعَلَّمَ الْعِلْمَ وَعَلَّمَهُ A person who learnt knowledge and used to teach the knowledge. وَقَرَأَ الْقُرْآنَ And he read the Qur'an. فَأُتِيَ بِهِ لِيُعَرِّفَهُ نِعَمَهُ فَعَرَفَهُ فَقَالَ مَا عَمِلْتَ فِيهَا then that person will be brought and it will be shown to him the blessings that were upon him. And it will be said to him, do you recognize them? Or rather, rather he will recognize the blessings. Then it will be said to him, what did you do with them? He will say, تَعَلَّمْتُ فِيكَ الْعِلْمَ وَعَلَّمْتُهُ He will say, I learned knowledge for your sake and I taught it. وَقَرَأْتُ فِيكَ الْقُرْآنَ And I read the Qur'an, etc. for your sake. It will be said to him, فَقَالَ كَذَبْتُ He will say to him, you're lying. وَلَكِنَّكَ تَعَلَّمْتَ لِيُقَالَهُ عَالِمٌ You only used to learn knowledge, so people would say, look how knowledgeable he is. Look what a great person of knowledge he is, عَالِم. That's what you wanted people to say about you, that's why you learned the knowledge. فَقَدْ قِيلٌ And that's what people used to say about you. 
They used to praise you, you're a scholar, you're an alim. وَقَرَأْتَ الْقُرْآنَ لِيُقَالَهُ وَقَارِئِ And you only used to recite the Qur'an, etc. Only so people would say, look how beautiful a reciter you are. That's why you used to do all of those things. ثُمَّ أُمِرَ بِهِ فَيُسْحَبُ عَلَى وَجْهِهِ حَتَّى أُلْقِيَ فِي النَّارِ So again, the command will be given and you will be dragged on his face and thrown into the fire. This indicates therefore that a person when he seeks knowledge, he does it purely for the sake of Allah, to remove the ignorance from himself, and to be able to aid himself and benefit himself, and to benefit his family and his society. Not for the sake of people then praising him, MashaAllah, look how much he knows. Not for the sake of an individual saying, people should come and ask me questions now. I have knowledge. As some people they say, some people they seek a bit of knowledge, they memorize a few things, and then they say, people should ask me questions now. And they get upset if people don't go to them to ask them questions. This isn't why you seek knowledge. Knowledge is sought for the sake of Allah purely and sincerely, not to turn the heads of the people towards you, as the hadith mentions. Then, there is a third individual also mentioned in the hadith. A person who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him lots of money and wealth. He had so much money and wealth. And so again, this person will be asked, what did you do with all of these blessings and this wealth? He will say, مَا تَرَكْتُ مِن سَبِيلٍ تُحِبُّ أَن يُنْفَقَ فِيهَا إِلَّا أَنْفَقْتُ فِيهَا لَكَ He will say, there is not a single way that you, O Allah, love for charity to be given, except that I used to give in all of those ways. Everywhere you can think of the halal charities, the proper ways to give charity, I used to give it everywhere. But then it will be said to him again, you're lying. وَلَكِنَّكَ فَعَلْتَ ذَلِكَ لِيُقَالَهُ وَجَوَادَ You only used to do that so people would say, look how generous and kind you are. And they used to say that. It was said about you. That's what you wanted from the people. So this individual again, the command will be given. He will be dragged on his face and thrown into the fire. The shaykh says now, فَإِذَا كَانَتْ هَذِهِ الْأَعْمَالُ الْجَلِيلَةِ تَذْهَبُ هَدَرًا وَتَضِيعُ عَلَى صَاحِبِهَا يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ نَظَرًا لِنِيَّاتِ أَصْحَابِهَا وَسُوءِ قَصْدِهِمْ فَغَيْرُهَا مِنَ الْعَمَالِ مِنْ بَابِ أَوْلَى The shaykh says, imagine now these actions. One person who is fighting in jihad, another person who is learning knowledge and Qur'an and teaching people, another person who is giving in charity everywhere. Those great actions... But even though they are great actions, they were made useless and they are thrown into the fire because the people who were doing those actions were doing them with a corrupt intention. So just the action by itself isn't the point. person shouldn't think, I pray five times a day, that's it. A person needs to look at his intention. Why is he praying five times a day? Is it just because he wants to be seen in the masjid by everybody else? So everybody else praises him. If that's the reason, then he needs to review and revise his intention. Here, that's the point the Shaykh makes, that your actions, you need to be aware of why you are doing them. And they are being done for the sake of Allah, not for any other reason. Then after that, the Prophet ﷺ gave an example to prove this issue, or to highlight the meaning of this intention, and to have the right intention. ثُمَّ إِنَّهُ ذَكَرَ مِثَالًا عَمَلِيًّا لِهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ The Prophet ﷺ gave a practical example to explain this point. فَقَدْ مَثَّلَ بِالْهِجْرَةِ The Prophet ﷺ gave the example of hijra. And hijra, هِيَ الْإِنْتِقَالُ مِنْ بَلَدِ الْكُفْرِ إِلَى بَلَدِ الْإِسْلَامِ فِرَارًا بِالدِّينِ And hijra 
It means to make movement from the land of the kuffar to the land of the believers. That is hijrah Islamically, to make the movement, to transfer, uh, transfer yourself, to take yourself from the land of the disbelievers to the land of the believers. That is the hijrah, and that is something that is continuous up until the day of judgment. So this is one of the best of the actions a person can do. To protect his religion and to protect his family from the fitan and the trials and the various affairs that occur. He moves and he goes to a place where there is Islam and living amongst the believers. That is hijrah. This is what is mentioned. So here then he says, in the Quran it's mentioned, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَهَاجَرُوا وَجَاهَدُوا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even mentioned the people who make the hijrah prior to the ones who make jihad. To indicate the level of the praiseworthiness of the individual who does that. So this is something that's mentioned regarding the hijrah. And that hijrah, it is continuous up until the day of judgment. <coughs> up until the establishment of the hour. لَا تَنْقَطِعُ الْهِجْرَةُ حَتَّى تَنْقَطِعُ التَّوْبَةُ وَلَا تَنْقَطِعُ التَّوْبَةُ حَتَّى تَطْلُعَ الشَّمْسُ مِنْ مَغْرِبِهَا That this tawbah or this hijrah, it will not cease until repentance ceases. Until repentance is no longer valid, then up until that time, hijrah will continue. And when will repentance not be valid anymore? When the sun rises from the west. One of the major signs of the day of judgment, when the sun rises from the west. So when that occurs, after that time, the tawbah it finishes. And at that time, that's when the hijrah it finishes also. Um... So a person who makes this hijrah to protect himself and his religion and his family, then that is something praiseworthy, particularly and especially if a person is living in a place where he is not able to practice his religion properly. If you are being restricted in the practicing of your religion, then the person should move and go to a land where he is able to practice it more freely. And that is completely permissible to do so, even... If you are living in a non-Muslim country and you don't have the ability to go to a Muslim country, but maybe there is another kafir country where there is more freedom and you are able to practice your religion better, then even that at the very least you should do it. And that is a fatwa of the permanent committee of scholars. The permanent committee of scholars from Saudi Arabia gave this fatwa. That if you are not able to make the hijrah to a Muslim country, which is what you should try to do, if you really can't, there's no way, but there's some other kafir country close by that is better than your kafir country you're living in and you can practice your religion better. There's more Muslims there, more Ahl Sunnah there, makes it easier for you there, more safer there, then go there. At least that's better for you if you can't get to the Muslim country, you don't have some, uh, any means to be able to get to the land of the Muslims, then at least go to that place where there are Ahl Sunnah and you are protected more. And this is what Shaykh Ubaid al-Jabiri, Hafidahullah Ta'ala mentioned also. That's what he mentioned regarding Europe. For example, in Europe now, many of the people in France and other places, it's difficult. But now here in the UK, there's much more freedom, especially in Birmingham now. You have all of the Salafis and the school and the center and the masjid and everything. So this is what was mentioned by some of the scholars, that if you find it difficult and you're not able to get to the Muslim lands, if you really aren't able, there's no way, then okay, go to somewhere where Ahlul Sunnah are present and you can protect yourself. So that is what the Shaykh mentioned and other scholars, the permanent committee have mentioned. And so you see the foolishness of some individuals who attempt to make accusations and refutations based upon these issues. And they have been dealt with now. And that is not something that the people should engage themselves in. 
with those individuals speaking of any such affair against a Sheikh Ubaid or against a Sheikh Abdullah al-Bukhari or any other from amongst the scholars. Allah Ta'ala. So here the Prophet said, whoever makes this hijrah and he makes that hijrah for Allah. There are two types. Here the Prophet gave the example of two types of hijrah. The first one, فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ A person who makes his hijrah for the sake of Allah and his messenger. يَعْنِي الَّذِي أَخْرَسَ نِيَّتَهُ لِلَّهِ فِي الْهِجْرَةِ وَتَقَبَّلَ اللَّهُ هِجْرَتَهُ وَكَتَبَهُ فِي الْمُهَاجِرِينَ فِي أَيِّ وَقْتٍ كَانْ That a person, he makes his intention sincerely for the sake of Allah, and he goes and makes hijrah to protect himself and his religion and his family, and he goes to the land of the believers purely for the sake of Allah, not because there's going to be more money there, there's going to be more properties there. He goes for the sake of Allah, for the sake of protecting his religion, to be with the believers in the land of Islam. Then that for that person, it will be recorded for him that he made this hijrah with that intention, with that sincerity, and his reward will be upon that. The second type of hijrah, مَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ A person who makes the hijrah for other than the sake of Allah. A person who makes the hijrah for other than the sake of Allah. فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى هَذَا الشَّيْءَ الَّذِي قَصَدَهِ Then for that person, his hijrah is for that thing which he intended. Whatever that thing is. He didn't do it for the sake of the religion and protection and for the sake of Allah. He did it for some other reason then his end reward will be for that other reason, whatever it is. وَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ لِدُنْيَا يُصِيبُهَا An individual, for example, makes this hijrah for some worldly gain, some worldly benefits. اَيْ هَاجَرَ مِنْ بَلَدِ الْكُفْرِ إِلَى بَلَدِ الْإِسْلَامِ وَلَيْسَ قَصْدُهُ الدِّينِ وَإِنَّمَا قَصْدُهُ أَنَّ بِلَادِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ فِيهَا طَمَعْ وَفِيهَا دُنْيَا وَفِيهَا تِجَارَ for example, the shaykh says a person, he leaves the land of the disbelievers. And he goes and moves and makes hijrah to the land of the believers, a Muslim country. He leaves the kafir country he's living in, packs his bags, everything, and goes and moves to a Muslim country. However, he only does that because he knows in that particular Muslim country, the particular business he's in, it's thriving in that Muslim country. He knows they make a lot of money there with his business. He knows the particular thing that he does for his work, his business. It's a very good market in that Muslim country. So he goes for that reason. Or he goes because properties are very cheap and he can get a big villa there. He goes for whatever reason it is, but not for the sake of the religion. He makes his hijrah there to the Muslim country, out of the kafir country, for some other reason, business and trade and properties and whatever it might be. If that's the case, then the shaykh says, it will not be written for him, the reward of a person who makes the hijrah for the sake of the religion. He didn't do it for the sake of the religion. Even though he's done the actual movement from the land of the kuffar to the land of the believers, he's done that. But he did it for some other intention, business and trade and wealth and properties, and whatever it might be. So for that individual, he doesn't get the reward written down, compared to somebody who leaves the kafir country and goes there purely to protect his religion doesn't care about the money and the wealth and whatever else, he goes there to protect himself and his religion. That's different. Two different states. Another example given in the hadith is, Maybe a person, he goes and makes the hijrah 
from the land of the believers to the land uh, from the land of the disbelievers to the land of the believers for the sake of a woman that he wants to marry he leaves the land of the disbelievers and he moves to the land of the believers but it's because his intention is there's a woman there that he wishes to marry that's the reason why he's going just for that reason to be able to marry this woman كَمَنْ هَاجَرَ مِنْ أَجْلِ أَنْ يَتَزَوَّجَ مَرَأَةً تَعَلَّقَ قَلْبُهُ بِهَا Maybe this person, his heart has become attached to some particular woman, and he wants to marry her. So he makes the hijrah and he moves for that reason. And that's the only reason he wants to go to that country, for the sake of marrying this woman. فَهِيَ فِي بِلَادِ الْإِسْلَامِ وَهُوَ مُتَعَلِّقٌ بِهَا وَقَالَتْ لَا أَنَا لَا أَتَزَوَّجُكَ فِي بِلَادِ الْكُفَرِ So maybe the woman said to him, I don't want to move to the land of the disbelievers. So he now moves to the land of the believers just for the sake of the marriage. Just for the sake of being able to marry the woman. Otherwise he would have stayed in the land of the disbelievers. So now this individual again, he doesn't get written for him the reward of making the hijrah for the sake of the religion. For the sake of protecting his deen. For the sake of staying away from the fitna and the land of the disbelievers. He made the hijrah to be able to marry this woman. So for him that's what's written down in his intentions and his deeds. That he went there for the sake of the marriage, not for the sake of the religion and for the sake of making the hijrah to protect his religion and for the sake of Allah. وَإِنَّمَا قَصْدُهُ الزَّوَاجِ Rather his intent was just a marriage. لَمْ يُكْتَبْ لَهُ ثَوَابٌ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ جَلَّ وَعَلَىٰ So he will not get the reward written with him. He will not get the reward written for making the hijrah for the sake of the religion. Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is aware of everybody's intentions. Allah is aware of that which is in the hearts of the people. قُلْ أَتُعَلِّمُونَ اللَّهَ بِدِينِكُمْ وَاللَّهُ يَعْلَمُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَاللَّهُ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمٌ وَاللَّهُ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمٌ وَاللَّهُ يَعْلَمُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ Allah is aware of everything in the heavens and the earth. Allah is aware of all of the affairs. عَلِيمٌ بِذَاتِ الصُّدُورِ Allah is the one who has the knowledge of that which is in the chests, that which is in the hearts. So Allah is aware of the intentions of the people. And the intention, it is in the hearts. It is in the hearts and nobody else knows what is in the heart other than Allah. Because you don't make the intention on your tongue. Intention is something which is done in the heart. And this is a mistake people make when they're going to start to pray. They say, I'm not going to pray these four raka'at for the sake of Allah, etc. Dhuhr prayer. And they say it. That's wrong. That's a bid'ah, innovation. The Prophet never did that. The companions never did that. When you make the intention in your heart, the intention is in the heart. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what's in the hearts of the people. And the people do not. So we might see somebody leaving this land of the disbelievers and going to the land of the believers. We don't know whether he's done that for the sake of the business and the money there. Or if he's done that for the sake of the religion, we don't know. But the intention is in the heart. And Allah knows the intention of every individual and why they do what they do. So that's why the shaykh says here now, this intention, it is in the heart. And it is not something that the people should be saying with their tongues. That I'm going to do this now, I'm going to do that now. I'm going to read the Quran for the sake of Allah. I'm going to pray this prayer for the sake of Allah. You don't say these things. You have them in your heart and you think of them in your heart. That's the, where the intention is. Uh, the only item that somebody might mention is the hajj. When you go to hajj, then you say the words. 
You say the words, لَبَّيْكَ مَرَةً وَحَجَّنَّ But that isn't the actual intention. The intention is still in your heart. But they are the words to indicate which type of Umrah or Hajj etc. you're going to do now. The words to indicate that you are entering into that. So, that still remains that the intention is within the heart and it is not something that you recite upon the tongue. Um, some people they say with regards to this intention some people they say that actually you're supposed to say it and they say Al-Imam al-Shafi'i said that some people they say that Al-Imam al-Shafi'i he said you're supposed to say it with your tongue firstly the shaykh says this ascription to Al-Imam al-Shafi'i that he said you're supposed to say it with your tongue isn't authentic anyway it is not proven that Al-Imam al-Shafi'i ever said that. Even if it was proven, even if it was proven that Al-Imam al-Shafi'i he said that, then it would still not be the correct position. Every scholar can make some mistake and he says something correct. Everyone can make a mistake and everyone can be correct. As Al-Imam Malik said, Al-Imam Malik said, everyone can be right and everyone can be wrong except the person in this grave. Talking about... The Prophet ﷺ. So even if it was proven, then it still isn't a proof. Because we know from all of the other evidences in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, that saying the niyyah on the tongue is not from the Sunnah, rather you say it in the heart. And in any case, the Shaykh says, it is not proven that Imam Shafi'i used to say that in any case. So this is the first hadith that Imam al-Nawawi mentions here to explain some of the aspects of this intention. That a person must always remember and recall when he is doing whatever action he is doing, he's doing it for the sake of Allah. And especially when other things from the worldly benefits come into it. So a person shouldn't be thinking, I'm going to go and do such and such, which is an act of worship, because I'll earn some money out of it as well. And I'll get some other benefit out of it as well. Or I'll get some status in society out of it as well. Don't be having those objectives and intentions. Maybe sometimes you do something and you end up getting some benefit too. That's a secondary issue. Your primary intention, your purpose of doing this uh, uh, ibadah, this worship, whatever it is, is for the sake of Allah, for the reward of Allah, to be written down for you in your good deeds. When you seek knowledge, when you pray, when you give the zakat, when you do the hajj, when you give in charity, all of that done for the sake of Allah. It's mentioned about the charity. This hadith we already mentioned now. How one person used to give it for showing off in front of the people. An individual who does that, then it's mentioned in one hadith, a Shaykh al-Fawzan, he quoted it in Kitab al-Tawheed, that those people who used to show off, they only used to do their worship just to show other people. They only used to turn up to the lessons or whatever it is, just so that other people will get off their backs. People who do actions for others like that, and they're not doing it for the sake of Allah, it's mentioned on the Day of Judgment, Allah will say to them, اِذْهَبُوا إِلَىٰ مَنْ كُنْتُمْ تُرَاؤُونَ فِي الدُّنْيَا هَلْ تَجِدُونَ عِنْدَهُمْ مِنْ جَزَاءٍ Go to the people now who you used to show off in front of. See if they'll give you any reward. So in this world, if you show off and do your actions and your worship just for other people to see you, then on the Day of Judgment it will be said to those people, go to the ones you used to show off in front of, see if they'll give you reward now for your actions that you used to do then. You used to do them for them, you used to do the actions to show off in front of them. So go and see if they give you rewards for them now. And they will not be able to. So a person must always be aware 
that this intention is of extreme importance and every action must be made sincerely for the sake of Allah. And in fact, that is one of the two pillars for any act of worship to be accepted. One of the two pillars of any act of worship to be accepted is the sincerity to Allah. Just like Allah said, فَمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ لِقَاءَ رَبِّهِ فَلْيَعْمَلْ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا وَلَا يُشْرِكْ بِعِبَادَةِ رَبِّهِ أَحَدًا That whomsoever wishes to meet Allah, then let him do the righteous actions upon the sunnah and not commit any form of shirk, i.e. sincerity. So the two pillars are sincerity to Allah and following the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So this sincerity, it is one of the key factors for any act of worship to be accepted and to be correct. So bear that in mind in everything, in seeking this knowledge, in memorizing, in learning, in understanding. All of that is being done for the sake of Allah. Not so that we can show off in front of the people, or so that the people will praise us. That is not what the person should desire whatsoever. All you desire is the reward of Allah from these actions. In properly practicing the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and being upon the methodology of the Salaf of this Ummah. So that is the conclusion to that brief explanation of the first hadith. Uh, if there are any questions, we can take them now, inshallah. And then next week, we'll go into the second hadith, which is a lengthy hadith, and that may take two or three sessions. It's a lengthy hadith, the famous hadith of Jibreel. The hadith of Jibreel. And that is lengthy, and we will go through that bit by bit. It may take two or three sessions. But then afterwards, there are some hadith that are very short, they only take one session, and in this way we will continue uh, week upon week, and it's not really an issue how long it takes. It's not like we have a timetable, we have to finish the book in this time. We will go through it at the pace that is required to be able to finish every hadith properly, to get the good understanding of it and the benefits of it. So inshallah ta'ala, we will continue with that from next week with the hadith of Jibreel. If there are any questions now, we can take them. Hmm. Go on. Um, I was praying uh, Asr, and in the second rakah, um, I didn't stay seated, so I got up. So, but then I remembered that um, I should have done the tahusha, um there. So in the so the third rakah, I did it. Mm. Now I was under the impression um, that that rakah is void because you missed out by Jibad. So, so I did. So I basically did four, but and then I did that as the fifth one. So how? So basically I did one, and then the second one I forgot to sit down. So for the third one I sat down. Ah, uh, thinking that your second one wasn't counting. Yeah. No, the, there are pillars of the prayer, there are wajibat of the prayer, and there are sunan of the prayer. If you miss a pillar of the prayer, then that raka'ah is gone, or the prayer is gone. If you miss a wajib from the wajibat of the prayer, then you can do your prostration of forgetfulness. If you miss one of the wajibat, you can do the forgetfulness prayer. Uh, prostration. So if you miss the uh, tashahud yeah. and you got up and you forgot, yeah. then you can do the prostration of forgetfulness for it, and that makes up for it. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's so your, your, that raka'ah is not to be considered as falsified. Uh, it's finished. That's a wajibat. It's from the wajibat. It's not a pillar. So the wajibat, if you miss it, you do the prostration of forgetfulness, and that makes up for it. Which one? The, um, the ex- because does it work out to be extra or the, the forgetfulness? That was forgetfulness. You forgot to do the tashahud. Oh, well, in your case, now you've ended up praying uh, extra and everything. But you still do your prostration of forgetfulness because you forgot in the prayer. But uh, normally there, if you forgot, then at the end, you just do your prostration. That's it. Mm. Mm.
we've actually just done a, a, a couple of lessons recently on the obligations of the prayer and the wajibat of the prayer and the sunan acts of the prayer. There was a lecture we did recently in Slough. You can maybe ask them for it. It's just one lecture which goes through what are the obligations that if you miss them, your prayer is invalid or the rak'ah is invalid. Which ones are the wajibat that if you miss them, you can just do your prostration and which ones are the sunnah acts. There was a lecture we did, so inshallah, maybe you can get that. Or uh, uh, Al-Fiqhi, the book of uh, Al-Shaykh Al-Fawzan, the summarized book of fiqh. If you go there to the section of the prayer, he lists them out. What are the wajibat ones that you can make the prostration for? For good luck and yeah. protection from evil eye. Yeah, evil. Haram. Tying these types of knots to cars as people do on the steering wheel, on the mirror, rear view mirror, or the back of the petrol uh, section or anywhere, putting these uh, strings and cloths and other things that people tie to their cars, then that is not correct. It is against Tawheed. It's a type of shirk even. It's a type of shirk. If a person believes that this is going to give him good luck and it's going to protect him, that's a type of shirk. So these types of uh, cloths and things, they cannot be hung. It's mentioned in some narrations, مَنْ تَعَلَّقَ بِشَيْءٍ وُكِلَ إِلَيْهِ That whoever has his heart attached to these other items, the cloth or the string or the whatever he's wearing, and he puts his trust in that this is going to protect him from the evil eye, then Allah lets him go with that thing. And that thing will not be able to do anything for him. Those things will not be of any benefit. These strings and these cloths, they have not been given in any sunnah, in any ayah, that this is what you use to protect yourself from the evil eye. There are du'as, there are supplications that you use, but not hanging these types of things. They are haram, they are from shirk. And you should get rid of them and tell the people to get rid of them. That's a hadith. That's a hadith. Go to Kitab al-Tawheed. Go to Kitab al-Tawheed, the chapter of the amulets. It explains everything there. These things are explained in there. Putting the items of cloth and other things on cars and animals. There's a hadith that the Prophet said, he sent one of the companions, they used to do this with camels before. They used to tie these strings around camels, saying this is good luck for the camel, and it will protect it from evil eye, etc. The Prophet sent a companion, he said, go and chop off all of these strings that they put on the camels. Get rid of all of them, it's all from the impermissible affairs. Any questions? Uh, otherwise, we'll conclude. If sisters have anything, they can pass it through in the paper. Yeah, if the intention is mixed, there's uh, scholars they speak about this. Imagine a person now, he starts praying sincerely for the sake of Allah. But in the middle of the prayer, he sees a group of people coming in, some of his friends, etc. And so the shaitan whispers, make your prayer more beautiful. When you go to Rukur, make it longer. When you go to Sajud, make it longer. They just walked in. This idea starts coming to him. The scholars, they say, if that happens, you started your prayer sincerely. But then in the middle of it, you see people are coming in the corner of your eye. So you start thinking to yourself, maybe I should make it a bit longer and I should do it more beautiful. These ideas start coming to you. If those ideas come to you, but when they come to you, you don't act upon them. You get rid of them. You seek refuge in Allah, you get rid of those ideas and you don't act upon them and you continue your prayer as normal. Then there's no impact, your prayer is okay. But sometimes if a person gets these ideas and then he continues upon them 
and he actually does start to do his worship now long and beautiful to show them and he carries on like that for the rest of the prayer then the scholars they say maybe the rest of the prayer now is false because he did it just for the sake of those people and they make a difference between if a person started with a correct intention then the false intention came in the middle or if a person began in the first place with a false intention but the point being if you start with a proper intention and some whispers come to you Block those whispers and continue as normal and your action is okay insha'Allah. But it's only when you allow the whispers to overcome you and then you start to do things for the sake of the people in the middle of your action, that's when the problem arises. But just because the whispers come, but if you block them, then it's not, it, there's no impact. They don't influence your worship in that case. If you block them when they come to you. Ibn Rajab, you mentioned that. Salatullah. <coughs> Yeah. That's a difference of opinion amongst the scholars. If you come to the masjid and the jama'ah has been missed, it's finished. Then some scholars they say you shouldn't make another jama'ah in the masjid. Because they say that is the right of the imam. It's not your right to now make yourself the imam and have another group, two of you or three of you. It's not your right. Some scholars say that is the right of the imam. So you shouldn't make another jama'ah, some scholars say. Other scholars, they say there's no harm. There's no issue in that. If you're late and there's a group of you, then pray together. There are hadith about the congregational prayer, how you get more reward 25 times, 27 times more, etc. So there's a difference of opinion on it. Some narrations, they say, how some of the companions, they came at one time, and the jama'ah had finished, so they left. And they made a jama'ah in their house. They didn't do it in the masjid. So there's a difference of opinion on the issue. If you're praying... Somebody comes and joins you, then no problem, finish the prayer with him. He's come and joined you without your uh, compliance. You're already praying and he comes and joins you. Then what can you do? You continue with the prayer and you carry on. But some of the scholars, they say, you shouldn't make a, a second jama'ah if the other one is finished. Go back to your homes and pray, or pray in jama'ah in your home with whoever you are with. Hmm. So we'll leave it there then, and we'll carry on next week insha'Allah at roughly the same time, quarter past seven, uh, insha'Allah ta'ala.